0: This is Registry, a podcast from Office Supply Publishing and Klaus Gunpoint. The 2023 National Film Registry has been announced, and it's got some really interesting choices made. And I'll have a little bit at the end talking about the uh, entire thing, but let's start off with all 25 inclusions. 1977. This is a Robert Young movie that is actually pretty good. I remember seeing it years ago and it's an idea about a laborer who comes to the US and to make remittances to his family and I think in the citation it actually notes uh, Charles Ramirez Berg uh, Charles Ramirez Berg saying Alambrista is The first and arguably best rendering of the Mexican-American diaspora story. And I think that's probably true. I can't think of one that is more, I don't want to say realistic, but has the emotional sense that we expect now that does it as powerfully developed. Here's one that I knew would be on eventually and would annoy me. uh, Apollo 13. It's Ron Howard, who I consider a very competent director, but I don't... To me, the effects were good, the idea was good, the acting was fairly good, but it never really crossed over. But I knew it would also be on at some point. So, what are you going to do? This is one that really makes me happy. Bamboozled, from 2000, by our good friend Spike Lee. It is a look at how... The African American experience in show business requires a new presentation to make it applicable to white audiences in the form of blackface. And there's way, way more layers to this. It's incredible. It is one of Spike Lee's best films. I put it right up there with Do the Right Thing. And I think, really, it takes on – it does a lot of work that I never would have expected a comedy, I would say. It's a dark comedy to sort of go into. And I love the fact that it says it mixes elements of A Face in the Crowd, The Producers, Network, and Putney Swope which got on a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I think that pretty accurately describes it. This one I am very excited about. The Bohulano Family Film Collection. This comes from the 1950s to the 1970s. And it is a documentation, more of a, you know, family film, home movie idea, of Filipino-American life. And the Bohulino family is, you know, a Stockton family. But it also includes the building of Stockton's Filipino Center in the early 70s. It has community events, family gatherings, trip to New York City, Atlantic City, and Washington, D.C., as well as a trip back to the Philippines. And I think, really, stuff like this is really important ...to be on the registry. And it's actually one I'm going to have to look into getting to see. It's uh, preserved at the Center for Asian American Media. Cruise in J-Town. This is 1975. This is Dwayne Kubo's documentary about the band Hiroshima. And of all the jazz fusion bands, Hiroshima is one that... ...a lot of purists sort of look, their, look down their nose at. But I think is really interesting. I find their work to be really impressive because it's it's a slight step up from easy listening. And I know some people say it falls directly in the easy listening phase uh, that I've actually heard it described as uh, shopping center music. I don't think that's true. But I had totally forgotten, because I saw this years and years ago, but it features a section that was worth El Teatro Campesino Which is Luis Valdez's group. And I had completely forgotten about that. I'm really glad to see this on there. Desperately Seeking Susan. I absolutely love Desperately Seeking Susan. And Susan Seidelman directed it. And it's got, of course, Rosanna Arquette when she was a huge star. And Madonna. Madonna's not a great actress. Here, she's really solid into the role. But what it really is, it is a document of New York at a time when it was in massive flux. And this is actually really key, I think, in documenting the aesthetic of the historical, aesthetic, and cultural. Aesthetic and culture, I guess, would be the two, because this is a New York that no longer exists. that has gone. And it's a beautiful document of it. Dinner at Eight, George Kukor. I've never seen this. And it's a pre-code comedy. But I don't really know how, how this works. But I do know that this is actually really fascinating. It is an ad- adaptation of a play that was done by George Kaufman and Edna Ferber. And the adaptation was by Herman Mankiewicz and Francis Marion. Th- those four writers alone are incredible aspects, but I really do need to see this. Edge of the City. This is a long time ago I saw this one. I might have even been like a teenager. And it's John Cassavetes and uh, Sidney Poitier. This is from 1957. And it's a story that happens among the New York City railroad workers. And it really is important because it has incredibly performance, incredible performances. Uh, Poitiers is great, Ruby Dee, uh, Jack Warden, fantastic, and of course John Cassavetes in one of the best acting roles he ever did. It's got a, you know, a mess. Meth- message of brotherhood. But one of the real key to this film is its effect that it had, as by 1962 you were seeing a lot of films that were taking strong African-American actors and giving them not only bigger parts, but parts that were both nuanced and important. Fame, 1980. Alan Parker, a filmmaker, who doesn't get his due, but it's a musical drama, and everything in it just screams of the world when MTV was not yet born, but all the elements were there. Helen Keller in her story. This is a great. Another great documentary. Uh, Nancy Hamilton did it, and it was about Helen Keller' first 60, 70 years. And, of course, she was one of the most famous uh, early advocates for disability rights in the U.S. And it kind of is a primer. If you watch it today, you can see how many elements of it. Ended up becoming the standard for documentarians to use in the 1980s and 90s. Home Alone. I never in a million years would have thought that Home Alone would be on it. And yet it makes so much sense now that I see it on there. It is definitely a cultural moment. It is Chris Columbus at his, probably his comedic best. And of course, Macaulay Culkin became a superstar. It's a gr- actually a really good movie. That's something that I often forgot, is that how, just how good it was. Lady and the Tramp, another great Disney film. And Disney gets a lot of attention pretty much every, I'd say every two years, Disney gets at least one film on the registry. And this one absolutely deserves to be there. Of course, the most iconic moment from it is The Kiss with the Spaghetti. But more than that, it also was released in CinemaScope. And this was one of the first shots against the fear that television was going to kill movies. This is when I was excited about, The Lighted Field from 1987. It is Andrew Noren's beautiful avant-garde piece that is just... It is ideas of light and dark, but it's also got this archival image use that is definitely infused and informed by the work of people like Bruce Conner. And I actually, this is odd, Andrew Noren, I saw speak probably in 1997, maybe even earlier than that, and actually hadn't heard that they had died in 2015, but... Yeah, it kind of makes sense now that I think about it. (laughs) Love and Basketball. This, out of left field for me. But, again, when I stop and think about it, absolutely. And Gina Prince-Bythewood wrote one of the most interesting, sort of, I guess it's an evolving romance. It's a very longer scale thing. In a way it has elements of When Harry Met Sally to it. But it's very much about how the things that we attach ourselves to in this case basketball often overshadow the people we attach ourselves to. And you know it's a really really good movie. I had a t-shirt for it when I was a kid actually. Uh, Never sure why that happened. I was I guess I was in my 20s. Matawan, 1987. I talked to John Sayles a couple times. I talked to David Strathan as well. And yet, this one never came up. It was always about Limbo or Eight Men Out or some, uh, you know, Return of the Secaucus Seven. But this is one that, you know, I saw it a long time ago. But what I didn't realize is that the pacing of it is so different that it really speaks to sales sort of directorial idealism and it works beautifully here's one that i am so glad is on and if i was making a list this would be on my top 25 this is maya lynn a strong clear vision from 1994 and it is a look at maya Lin Just after the period when she designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which was in the 80s, but this is 94, and she really brings her concepts, not only for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, but for art in general. And she actually looks at public art in it in a way that is just really super well done. Here's one I have never seen and yet I'm going to search out right now. A Movie Trip Through Filmland. Which is, it says here, The film begins with a gathering of animated multinational characters as they attend the International Convention of Movie Fans. Uh, The animated curtain's part and the audience sees... Kodak Park, and the short film detailing every step of the film manufacturing process. Wow. I really, really want to see that. And it's films like that that I love. I love industrial films. Uh, the uh, the Middleton Family goes to the World's Fair, would qualify in that category. One of my personal favorites is actually uh, The Haunted Mouth uh, from the American Dental Association. Uh Really, I'm glad to see movies like this getting on here. Here's one that is unquestionably deserving. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Danny Elfman... I would argue that The Nightmare Before Christmas is, along with Love Actually, the last two sort of modern Christmas classics. And the imagery is remarkable. The animation is fantastic. What I think it's overlooked, because the music is, is phenomenal, but the voice acting was incredible. And I think that's one that, you know, we sort of miss because there are so many other ideas that, you know, you sort of attach yourself to. The songs in particular from Nightmare Before Christmas. Passing through. Interesting. So, Larry Clark was interesting as a filmmaker and this was a film about the importance of jazz in the african-american culture i've never seen it i've definitely heard of it i may have had it at one point on my netflix queue back in the you know dvd days but i really really want to see want to see this one and it's definitely one I'm adding to my list. Queen of Diamonds. This is uh, Nina Menkes's 1991 film about it's hard to sort of explain because it's been a long time since I've seen it but it was this idea of Las Vegas as this desolate world until the nighttime when it becomes this mysterious magical place terminator 2 i've said it many times i think terminator 2 is one of the most important films of the 1990s because it brought us to the world of cgi as a definer for film honestly it kind of made the for a period the effects film a genre of film 12 Years a Slave, of course, Academy Award winner for Steve McQueen. It's It came in eg- exactly 10 years after its release, so it as as fast as you can go. And, of course, it had Best Screenplay. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o won for the Best uh, Supporting Actress. Overall, I think it is just a great film. 20 Feet from Stardom. This one I am super excited about. This is Morgan Neville's film about backup singers. And you have Darlene Love, Mary Clayton, Lisa Fisher, uh, Judith Hill, and lots of archival footage. It is incredible to look at these figures who are major parts of how we get major hits. And I thought that, you know, it won Best Documentary in 2013. Again, exactly 10 years, so it can be in. But a great, great film. The Wedding Banquet, Ang Lee. Really super solid film, 1993. And what's interesting here is this is probably Lee's most Emotionally varied film, and I think that really this is the film that got him attention as a serious filmmaker, as a filmmaker who not only you know had the ideas but could actually deliver something that was a romantic comedy. (coughs) We're alive. 1974, a video workshop at the California Institute for Women, uh, the largest women's prison in the U.S. And through all these discussions that were had, and they were taped by the actual participants, were edited into a 49-minute documentary. And I think it's really, really interesting. I remember I've only seen uh, excerpts from it. But it is one of those things that probably deserves a more interesting release. So that is our 2023 National Film Registry list. I think it's a good list. I'd love to have seen some more short films, some uh, more avant-garde work, but I can't say it's a bad list. And it did bring in some surprising things that make sense, like Desperately Seeking Susan, Home Alone... Some not surprising things that make sense. Definitely, no question, Nightmare Before Christmas on that one. And it got you, you know, home films, industrial films, all these things. I think it went into the corners very nicely. So, hopefully you won't have to wait to hear me again until next year. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Registry. I'm Chris Garcia.